Hey, Ashley, how are you doing in, in Birmingham, Alabama? I'm good. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. Yeah, yeah good afternoon. <laughs> and, and we we talked about just how 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 freaking hot uh, it is, not just in Birmingham, but, you know, here in Tampa, Florida, um, just living in the south. We just get used to this heat, I think, don't we? We do. Well, I'm I'm not used to it. I'm not Southern by my nature. I'm from the North, so yeah. I like the four seasons. I'm fine with the cold. So this is something different. <laughs> yeah, I, I share with you that I was I was born in Savannah, grew up in Georgia for a while. So this this is this is um, something that I grew up in, and we weren't allowed in the house growing up, right? Away, so I had to like be outside. But um, but you know, so so the most one of the there's a lot of fascinating storylines with you and, and your and your and your mother, who's your who's your partner. This this being in Birmingham, I think, is one of the coolest parts of the story um, because you guys have had great success there. And apparently there's just a really amazing ecosystem there that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, start by just sharing with us a little bit about about Birmingham. Yeah, you know, Birmingham's an interesting place. We started our company in Nashville, Tennessee, and then over the course of our journey, we ended up moving our headquarters to Birmingham because we found it to be a more supportive ecosystem for both female founders and founders of color. And so because of that, we came here and then we saw a lot of amazing things begin to take off with our business. We say that Birmingham was really the place that gave us a chance. And so without Birmingham taking that chance, I just don't know that my story continues to evolve from, you know, year two to year four to five, all of that. So you guys were having a you guys were having a pretty good uh, success in Nashville. I was reading, I enjoyed reading. I, I love all you guys have some great uh, origin story content out there, and I just enjoyed reading all of it. And I watched your, your YouTube video. I'm sorry, your Facebook video, which blew my mind. By the way, everybody <laughs> should watch your, your Facebook, the one that you gave uh, on the stage. Um, but you, you know, Nashville was really good to you. Uh, for you, really helped you get off the ground. Your mother's from there, um, and then Chattanooga was about like. But uh, you kind of felt like you uh, you kind of reached, you kind of maxed it out, and you and you needed uh, kind of a, another chapter. It seemed like. Well, I well, I like to be just very to the point. Yeah, Nashville, Nashville wasn't the greatest. Nashville ended up um, embracing us like when we finally broke them down. But it took us time to break them down. And I mean, breaking <laughs> down the establishment in Nashville took some time because people just really didn't know what to do with us. You know, we were two first time founders. You know, we did have really good career backgrounds, which made sense for the product that we were talking about, but they really didn't know how to educate or inspire or push forward um, founders like us, frankly. You know, yeah. we're talking about 2015. That was way yeah. before Me Too, Us Too, Them Too, Black people in tech, brown people in tech, like none of that was happening. And so you you had to do it on your own. And so, I mean, everything that happened for us in Nashville, while there were some extraordinary people that crossed our paths, most of it was just good old hustle. Like we built it one brick at a time, one person at a time, one networking event at a time, like, you know, and over time we were able to build a network, like a little ecosystem and become very well connected there, but it took a lot of time and it took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So, so there was this uh, this famous trip to New Orleans, right? I guess that really triggered this opportunity in Birmingham, right? Tell tell us about that. 
Yeah, uh, we were about it was 2017. So that was a year after I joined the business full time. Up until that point, my mom had been the primary person on mixed shows before I came full time in 2016. And um, it was a year after that. So a year after that, we went to Collision Conference in New Orleans and we were selected to exhibit. And so we were excited by this. Uh, we had been to quite a few tech conferences, you know, over the course of this time at this point. And we found that when we would go, people would often mistake us for the wait staff. And so although there's nothing wrong with being on the wait staff, it just wasn't <laughs> what we were trying to do there. And, you know, it was just like without fail, like somebody would walk up to my mom and be like, oh, can you get me a gin and tonic? Or, oh, can you get me this or that? And it was just like, okay, that has to stop happening. So we got these t-shirts made that said black female founder fund me. And on the back, they said got seed. And those uh, t-shirts, it was like a, a $15 investment. It's like a, a t-shirt from Walmart. And like one of our neighbors put the lettering on it and they just caused quite a stir because people were like, what are you saying? What are you doing? What is this a political thing? Like what's happening? And we were like, no, we just want people to know that we're here. We have a business, we're exhibiting it. And we're, you know, we're looking for the same thing that every other founder is. So, you know, that was the point. And it led to three very strategic things, which was our first article in Forbes, which was pretty cool. It yeah. also led to us being connected to an organization called Creative Startups out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. We ended up um, being selected to pitch in a competition for them. We went to Albuquerque. We did that. We ended up winning. And then they sent us to Copenhagen, which was awesome, uh, where mm -hmm. we pitched again. And we also won our category there. And then the the biggest thing that happened was we crossed paths with the person who would become the executive director of Velocity Accelerator in Birmingham. And that is ultimately what ended up bringing us to Birmingham. It was literally that serendipity of her walking past our booth, us catching her attention and just quickly exchanging, we're Mixtros, I'm Beth. And then that led to something beautiful. Wow. Like, uh, in the, just because, you know, you went to that conference and, and, uh, so many, um, you know, people sometimes wonder if they should, you know, buck up and go to a conference like that. But it, it, it can literally uh, it can literally change the trajectory. It obviously did in your case. There's nothing to like. I mean, I hate to feed right into your storyline, but but the face to face thing is is a difference maker in, in the real world. I mean, that's where things really happen. People you can only get so much done with email and phone calls. Right. One hundred. I mean, one like one hundred one thousand percent. I mean, this this game is all about not only who you know, but who knows you and you right. get to know people through seeing them like this. Well, before we, uh, so, uh, you know, I just wanted to get, open up right with the, the Birmingham thing, because I think it's really interesting and might as well just wrap kind of, we're going to circle back to the story, but, uh, you know, you went on to, um, um, you know, you went on to be selected to present to the Steve Case Rise of the Rest tour in 2018, which I'm very familiar with because they came to Tampa Bay in 2019. Right, right. Year. And, and it was awesome. It was, it was awesome. And uh, they made one, two, three, four stops in Florida and then the Puerto Rico. So, uh -huh. but Tampa Bay was a big stop. Um, but you guys won that in, uh, in, in 2018. Um, and then, and so, you know, that was when you were in Birmingham, right? And then, and then, uh, and then somehow you, you guys climbed up to a million dollars pretty quick thereafter. Yeah. Well, it was six months to the day. Um, mm -hmm 
fundraising is the least fun thing that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Like it's awful. Um, <laughs> the whole process of it is awful. Like, you know, it really, it takes you away from your business because fundraising is a complete full-time job. Preparing to fundraise is a complete full-time job. Preparing your data room and oh, reaching man. out to investors and methodically following up with these investors at a time when they're investing and investing in your space and interested in your product and understand what you're going to do in the world. I mean, it is just a whole cluster. And so doing it once is good because then you know how to do it going forward. So that's good. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of brutal. You know, it was, uh, it was six months to the day after rise of the rest, we ended up raising, um, north of a million dollars, which was, of course, very exciting. But honestly, by the time we got there, it was exhausting, you know, and it was like, okay, well, this is the beginning. Like, you know, I've said so many times in this journey, this is the beginning. But, you know, I guess that is part of um, part of being an entrepreneur. So, I, I, you know, you, you, first of all, the part you left out about fundraising that's really soul crushing also is just how much of a beauty, how much of a beauty contest it is. And I don't mean physical yeah. beauty. I mean, like, the, the things you get judged on and the questions you get asked are like, what and really, and things like, you know, it's, it's that's. Well, I would even, I would even counter that and say, part of it is a beauty contest because. The there is some physical, don't give me, there's physical. Well, but, but I was going to say part, part of this is like one, to put it in perspective, you know, it took us six months to the day to raise that million dollars. My mom and I are the 37th and 38th black females in the United States to reach that over a million milestone. And that's not like this decade, that's period, which is horrifying, right? It's a horrible statistic. Um, you know, it usually takes white males about three months to raise a round of funding. It takes white females another one to two months on that three. And then people of color, you put another one to two on top of that. And that's where you are pretty much. But then over the course of that, you know, conversations that my mom and I literally had, like, you can see me, like my hair is in dreads. It's amazing. The reason my hair is in dreads is because it is hot as heck down here in Alabama. One, <laughs> two, this is very cost effective for an entrepreneur. And I just don't worry about my hair, which is awesome. Right. But we would literally have conversations. My mom and I, she'd be like, well, your hair's like that. So let me like flat iron my hair. Like these, this is what we would say in the early days before we like literally stopped caring. Um, and you know, those are conversations that a lot of people will never have to have, but we were very cognizant of how we were positioning ourselves and how we were coming across from people who were frankly, not a lot like us because those yeah. were the people who were funding people at the time. Yeah. Now, so we're gonna and, and and you just uh, did a little giveaway. No, you did a little giveaway to my uh, one my opening surprise question. But before I get to that, back to the Steve Case thing, and you said that you was a, you you had this feeling of let's uh, new beginning or something. Um, maybe you know what is what does it feel like? What do you channel? What kind of um, what kind of spirit or confidence do you channel before you go up on a big stage like that? And you're still doing it to this day. But before you go up on a big stage like that. And um, and you're playing to win. Like, what is the Ashley mental playbook? I'm, this is off the script. I just want to ask you this because you kind of have the A game. I don't channel anything. I practice. Like, okay. there's there's no there's no channeling. There's no um, you know witchcraft that happens. People <laughs> who prepare, people who practice, are ready to play. Like, so. Love it. I don't come messing around like when I'm preparing for a pitch, like specifically like a big pitch like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I might put together the pitch deck for something like that, like two weeks, at least two weeks in advance. And then generally, as I'm getting closer and closer, like I'm going through that pitch, like every hour on the hour, every half hour on the a half hour. And I'm doing it the way that I would actually do it. I'm standing, I'm in front of a mirror, I'm seeing what I'm doing. I'm holding something in my hand, which would mim mimic like a clicker or microphone. I am continuing to push through, like if my cell phone rings or I mess up or whatever, I continue so it lets me know how I'll actually recover. And because yeah. of that, I can get on a stage and I can start pitching and I don't think about it. Like yeah. all I know is that five minutes elapses and then I'm at the end and I'm like, oh good, I made it. Uh, no, I, I'd love I'd love this. People don't people don't really understand this. And I even talk about this in my book about confidence is is people like to think that confidence is gifted and all that good stuff. Um there's to a certain degree true, but but confidence is built upon uh, preparation and building the bricks of foundation. And, and I use it in my book around the confidence of being an entrepreneur, but it really applies to everything. Um, preparation and practice and rehearsal, uh, memorization, right? It, it it takes all of that to make something look natural and easy, right? So yeah. someone like yourself, you come across like like a natural, you're just a natural. Well, true. there's a certain element of truth to that, but to really nail it, it takes uh, a tremendous amount of uh, prep and, uh, and um, rehearsal, right? But here's the thing, famous, famous actors know this, any actor knows this. And we, you know, we look at actors on TV, we don't, we don't really, don't really understand how much memorizing they do. You just, I don't think about it when I watch them going, oh, they look, they look so comfortable and natural. It, it's hard to, it's, to get to look that comfortable and natural on camera on stage takes like, for every five minutes you see them, that's like five hours. Oh, it, I mean, and I would say that is, I mean, it's incredibly true. I tell people, I'm like, when you're going to go up on stage and do something like that, specifically if it's new to you, you should be chasing a happy birthday level of memorization. Like that's what you should, that's that's how well you should know and it. And that's when people gla glaze over and they go, wait a minute, that's too much work. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, and I was going to say, and that will separate you from the rest because you'll notice always in, you know, in a pitch competition or any kind of presentation, you can always tell who was prepared. Like you can always tell. And it's like, oh, even if what that person just said wasn't that good, they killed it. And that goes for musicians, too, by the way, you know, bands that we follow and singers, they all you know make it look so easy and so fluid. More, You really talk to them the, the, the thousands and thousands of hours memorizing every piece and re over and over and over again and whether it's the vocal or the music and just people just the average person doesn't truly understand that and and so I think that's really cool that you shared that a lot this as you know this podcast is dedicated to aspiring and early entrepreneurs right so I think yeah. right there I've like I've got like a massive headline um, on this interview already just in terms of a takeaway um, okay so now time for my surprise question okay I'm ready <laughs> But you know, I already, I think I already, I think I already gave it away to you, and uh, we, you and I um, had our call. It, it, it never <laughs> really is a surprise. But okay, so so what if you don't? What if you don't look like uh, a typical uh, tech founder? That's you know, I mean, we touched on some of this, right? Um, but um, you know, let's let's talk about that because let's list off all the ways that you don't look like a typical tech founder. <laughs> Yes. Wait, I was going to say, what do we want to start with? Um, I, I mean, I'm black. I'm a female. I have dreads. That would be a good one. I certainly don't dress like a typical tech founder, like when it's time to get out there and do it. Like, you know, no hoodies and jeans over here, no flip flops. Um, 
you know, and I, I would even say like my part of my like personality type, you know, I'm a tech founder, but I'm not someone who codes, but I do understand enough so that I can communicate in my dev team in a way that makes sense. So, I mean, it's certainly, it's a mixture of physical attributes. And then I would also say uh, characteristics that have to do with my personality. I tend to be extremely extroverted. And, um, you know, <laughs> with that, that brings some things because I will tell you my dev team and I, we're, we're different from one another, but you know what? We get one another. It's okay. Sorry, did I lose you? Sorry, no, I, I didn't lose. You. Okay, good, good. Um, hey, but so let me say this. But you missed one. Um, you've 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 got this. You've got your mom with you too. So no, that's fair the enough. <laughs> fair enough. I was gonna say. Yeah, so my mom. My mom, my mom being with me as well does bring up a whole other layer of things. Like, obviously, if she's my mom, she's a bit older than I am. Um, and I think she would be comfortable with me saying she's over 50. And, you know, she was somebody who at this age, she could have been retiring. Like, she would have yeah. been like, hey corporate career. It's been great. And it's time to retire and travel and whatever. But she, I, I look to her so much because she did a very scary thing. Like it's very scary to have been in corporate America for 25 plus years and then say, I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur and I can't code. Hey, time out for a minute. I hope your, hope your mom doesn't mind me saying this. Um, your mom is a, 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 a uh, is a complete badass. Mm. Your mom is a bad, like I, I, I watched that. Oh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying that, but it's true that I, I you know that within the first four, three to four minutes, your mom, like I, I watched you guys on stage together. And at first you're, cause we already know you're, 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 you're a forward personality and you you a lot of personality. So we kind of, on, at first glance in the first few minutes, cause you know, as humans, we judge, we make, we do stupid judgments. Of course. So we're thinking, we're thinking mom's going to be a little bit quiet to Ashley. Like she's going to kind of sidecar Ashley. And, and she had, she was bringing so much, he, I don't know. I, at some point by the end, I was like, I, I don't know. I can't tell who to focus on here because th these these are both very powerful women that and, and your mom. Then I learned about your mom's Fortune 500 career, which then didn't. And then as it rolls out, you're like, wow, this is not your average mom. Right. This is this is a businesswoman who has played with the big boys and the big girls. And then I'm thinking to myself, wow, how lucky is Ashley to have that in her business? Because you're like, okay, here you are with your youth and zeal. And then here's this seasoned executive. And it just, it, it's, it's from an outsider. It's like within the first 20 minutes, everything just starts breaking apart in your mind, watching you two go. It's, it's really amazing. Well, I was so going to say, I appreciate that. Judge a book by the cover and then within, but, but lots to your credit, you guys wear it on your sleeve. And you made a comment in that interview I saw that said, you know, do yourself a favor, uh, hire or find a partner over the age of 40 in, in your business. What do you mean by that? I, 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 it's so funny. Whenever I say it, I mean it so much because specifically if it's a, a female over 40, there are some assumptions that can be made because, you know, I talked to, I talked at the beginning of this, like 2014 was a time before it was me too and us too and them too. So for anyone that was an executive in the nineties, like a female executive in the nineties or building their career in the nineties, two thousands, I mean, it was unheard of, you know what I mean? Any sort of, oh, you know, women this and women that, you know, my mom was very often the only female, certainly the only black female in a room dominated usually with white males. Her background is manufacturing. And yeah. so, you know, she had to walk a line of doing her job correctly, but then not coming off as a, the, you know, the black. And there's some words that I could follow that up uh, with, yeah. but like, she had to toe that line and learn how to play the game. You know what I mean? And she did flawlessly. Boy. 
yes. and, and just stay poised in all those tight situations. And, and by the way, I loved your correction on that. Um, a woman over the age of 40 is yeah. very different than a man over the age of 40. I mean, there's something about, I don't know, I'm just going to go off script here. Something about a woman when she gets later, at like over 40, just become, there's so much, uh, there's like, there's almost like this pent up energy like you can't unstoppable force like i feel like men just start getting tired over 40 and women just start catching their uh their wind and their legs. I mean, you know, it's very interesting because you can see a lot of women in that age category that their career trajectory is starting to go up. You know, the thing that's exciting is women in that age bracket, you know, they may have been working and they may have went through a season where they stopped working or whatever, but that yeah. doesn't mean while they were raising a family doesn't mean that they weren't having ideas and it doesn't mean that they weren't doing side hustles, you know, and it doesn't mean some of them that they weren't raising a family while simultaneously yeah. building a career. And so when you can find somebody that has that skill set where they just know how to navigate and make it work. I think it's super valuable. Also, there's so much research out there that says entrepreneurs in that over 40 category, and this is men and women, they tend to be more successful because most of them have, or all of them have had more life experience than a millennial, right. for example, which means they've likely had more business experience. They know, you know, they know the signs of, you know, business pivoting, businesses changing, you know, all of this kind of thing. So I think it's um it's interesting working with my mom like i i hands down would not have done this with anyone else ever yeah as long as they've got the patience to work with a young person right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right i mean to be that's the thing right like uh it's in in your in your own daughter which i mean i i tried to work with my father and and it and it we, we actually made a very good run out of it and didn't work out so well um I, you know, we, we just, it was big bull, little bull, basically. It, it might've been a man issue too. There might be some extra dynamics, women. I know there's all kinds of things there, but um, that's really tricky. And uh, if, if you're, if you're, and this is, you're my second mother daughter, um, you know, interview um, episode. And I had both on, on before, but it's, if you, if you've got, uh, if, if it, if it kind of works in a real meaningful way, mutual respect, yeah. Um, the chemistry and all that's there, man, you, you can go far with that. Right. But it can fall apart. If you don't have that, it just falls apart quickly. Like mine, my father and I, we tried for a while, but he was so dominant of a, of a, of a man, alpha man, man. And I was like a little alpha, right. He was a big alpha. And then we had the, we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't keep it. It was just, it was too much ego and man stuff going on, if that makes any sense. It you know? does. And I would say you touched on something really important. It's that mutual respect piece that will save you because even in the beginning of this business, my mom and I, so I early on, I made my mom and I both take personality assessments. And so what I discovered there was we are, and obviously my mom was in human resources, so she's very familiar with personality yeah. assessments. Yeah. So she kind yeah. of laughed when I made us do it. But what we figured out is, like on a Myers-Briggs, there are 16 personality types. And my mom and I are like in the same quad, which means we're not the same, but we understand each other very, very well because we see the world similarly. And so even though we have differences, our differences tend to complement each other. So my mom tends wow. to be kind of a macro thinker and I'm micro and very detail oriented. And those two tend to um, complement one another. And I also think over time, we've just gotten into a cadence of we have different disagreements all the time. Like there's disagreements about things all the time, but we just go the route of whoever has more domain expertise, that person will make the final decision and we keep it moving. It's interesting. You know, um, that that's funny you said that because that's the same conclusion that Coco and Dash came to. And it was um, um, 
Coco and Teddy, they mother daughter, they eventually had to just like decide. They took them a while to get there, but this idea of we'll agree on what your areas are, my areas, and we'll respect each other, and that just made all the difference for them. So uh, it's interesting. Did you guys get there fast, or did, did it did it come slow? No, we. Got, I would say we got there relatively fast because yeah. we were just in a place where yeah. okay, this can't be a hiccup. Like there's enough outward things going on. Like we can't, yeah. you know, we can't do that. Well, it's very, very special. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just really cool to see. Um, I'm going to jump over to my uh, my sponsor slide real quick, if that's okay, and um, and then uh, just looks like I just got to do this. Okay, cool. Our sponsor for the episode is Secure Startup, right? So SecureStartup.com is uh, is really dedicated to early stage founders and investors, right? Helping them um, do handle all the documents that go back and forth between early stage founders and investors, and all the uh, the sign offs and the security. Um, just managing that process can be, as Ashley alluded to earlier, raising capital is is just um, uh, is just a, a crap show, uh, and it's really uh, it's a it's a lot of time suck and it's a lot of frustration, especially when you are new to it and you haven't done it before. So, um, securestartup.com is uh, is dedicated to helping that process run smoother, and um, and so there are there are episode uh, sponsors. So you could have used something like that, Ashley. I certainly yes, <laughs> yes, right? a lot. Yeah. So um, all right. So I want to I want to go back to um, I want to go back to the beginning here, Ashley. And part of again my mission in this thing, and I do it with my class as well, is I want people, um, especially this is the part where young people can get a moment to relate. Um, my daughter is in college. I, I teach a, a college course, and like. Kind of who were you? How would you describe yourself? Um, high school or college? You pick. You know, what kind of person were you? Was the seeds of entrepreneurship there? Um, how, how would you or others describe you during that phase of your life, early 20s or high school, wherever you want to pick it up? Yeah, I mean, I would say like early 20s is a good benchmark. Mm -hmm. And I would just say I was. I was intense. I was motivated. I was um, energetic and like excited. <laughs> um, I I literally hit the ground running when I went to college. I I realized because my my mom's career when I was younger it started to move us around a bit. So I was one of those kids who had grown up in the same area like first grade through ninth grade, and then in tenth grade we move, which you know mm. that feels devastating mm. at the time. You know feels. Yeah you know, soul crushing, like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving all my friends. And, you know, and it was honestly probably one of the best things that could have happened because early on I learned you can be someone new when you go somewhere new. And I learned that- uh, um, yeah. You can reinvent yourself. You can reinvent yourself. Or you can become the person, that next level person that you kind of wanted to be, but you were held back. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. So I always have viewed it that way, like that ability to like be a chameleon of sorts and be able to get into a situation, kind of survey the scene and then figure out where you fit is a place where I tend to excel. I think it part of it has to do with my personality type. I'm a counsel, I'm really into personality type. So I'm a counsel personality type. It's funny because like the first line of that description says you were probably a football player or a cheerleader, which is true. Um, so, you know, in in college, I I we I went to high school in Kentucky, and then in college, I went back to near my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, and I went to a small liberal arts college in Cleveland called Baldwin Wallace University. All of this is serendipity because I had wanted to go to UCLA at one point. I had wanted to go to Emory at one point. So like all of this is serendipity at work. So I end up going to the smaller university. The reason why I did that is I went to college at 17. I've always been like the youngest in my class. And so my 
mom was like, you know, why don't you go to college close to home? Let's like make sure you're good and then you can transfer out and do your thing. I think she knew what was inevitably going to happen, which was you go to college and if you vibe with the people, you're certainly not transferring out. Like you're, you know, you've made right. friends, you're yeah, like yeah. thing. And yeah. so, you know, over the course of college, like, I mean, I was an orientation leader. I was a radio DJ. I was a varsity cheerleader. I was in a sorority. I was class president. Like I was involved in everything. And, um, you know, I also maintain, I was on the Dean's list. I maintain a high GPA. I got a degree in broadcasting, mass communications and public relations. Um, I wanted to be a news anchor. And so, you know, I was doing all sorts of things that like, I felt like mm -hmm. were getting me on that trajectory. Like I loved making friends. I loved knowing people. I think I was one of those people who knew everybody and said hi right. to everybody and you know so i had a really great college experience so you so you were definitely a bit of an overachiever <laughs> yes yes i've always been classified as an overachiever yes yeah, yeah right okay and then your mom was obviously was too but mom, mom seems like a little uh a little quieter style I'm, I'm just imagining maybe just seems your mom seems like a little different style of um overachievement but uh, <laughs> i mean i know she was very vocal when i saw the interviews but she just seems, um, I don't know, I don't know, just, just comes across differently to me, like maybe um, more kind of more measured about everything that she's doing or I don't know, just taking a stab. I think that she's just more, um, I, I think it's almost a generational thing because, mm. you know, my mom set me up for, my mom, my parents, they set me up for a layup. So you could, just they, cut, you could just cut loose. Yeah. I mean, they sent me yeah. to private school. They paid all of my tuition, which is, I mean, I was one of those kids in 2009 when the market fell, but I graduated with no loans, you know? So, I mean, that was huge in what I was able to do next. Like, so yeah. my mom did that for me. Her parents also paid for her college. So it was just like, it's like generations of your family setting you up to be successful. And, you know, in my household, there was no option not to be successful. Like there was no option yeah. not to get, perform and, you know, get good grades. And like, that just wasn't a thing. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have a baby brother. He's uh, 20. He'll be 24 in several days. Oh, wow. That's, that's fantastic. So you, okay. So, um, all right, so so college, you're you're kicking ass in college, um, and uh, you 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 come out of there, and did you immediately go to New York City, or was there a a, a period? So the so the way that I got to New York City, so I was. Um, I was, it was 2007 and I started college in 2005. So 2007, I am working on dance marathon at my school, you know, just one more thing. And <laughs> I, I got paired up with a classmate of mine. His name is Brendan. I talk about him often. And, um, it was interesting because Brendan and I got matched. We didn't really know each other. We just knew we were both in Greek life. Um, but Brendan was a little bit more quiet. He was, uh, he was, he was like, he was outgoing, but quiet, like more reserved. Um, he was really involved on the campus, really smart guy. He had a girlfriend that I knew kind of admired. Like, so, you know, I knew of him, but then me, I was kind of this, woo, like kind of all over the place kind of girl. And so they matched us up for, um, to work on a project together. And so we yeah. were only together maybe an hour or so but something miraculous happens when one you are willing to put yourself out there with somebody who is different than you so during that time Brendan and I although we looked very different we discovered we actually had a lot of things in common and so we vibed very well and we just had a great conversation which started a relationship a good friendship and so he then said to me do you need an internship and I said 
I do need an internship because um, I've done everything else and now I need an internship. And he said, well, I know a woman, I'll send, I'll send an email for you. And he did that. And literally three weeks later, I became LeBron James' first intern. And I was LeBron's intern for two and a half years. So Brendan changed my life. And that's why I believe in networking so, um, so, so much. Like one yeah. person can change your life. <laughs> It's it, it is it is where the good stuff comes from, right? I mean, every good thing that I've ever anybody's ever had happen to them almost always came through somebody, right? Um, you, wait a minute, so you grew up near Cleveland, yeah. LeBron James, but the internship was that in Cleveland? Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Yep. Okay. Um, well, that's a whole nother podcast episode. It's like a whole, it's like a whole other, like, <laughs> what in the world? Because, you, uh, you know, it's funny. I speak to college students often, and that's the nugget that I use they to get wanna, their attention. Yeah, oh, my the gosh. Yeah, I remember I did a speech, a big speech at Ole Miss, and it was so funny because like this whole the the whole first row of this particular speech, like they were all fraternity guys, and I know this because they all had the same haircut and they all had the same letters on. I know what I know what it is. I know oh, what my, I my daughter, my daughter just calls them frat boys. It's just, yeah, you know, so it, so it was funny because I get up on stage and they're kind of like, okay, like who is this? Like where is she coming? Like what's going on? Drop the Ron James on them. And it's so funny because after that, they went from sitting like this to like completely like, up in their chair. They came and gave me handshakes after the speech. I was like, yeah, that's that's that. It, hey, isn't that, isn't that crazy? The, the, that celebrity power and, and, you know, to be able to use it for good. Like he's like, that's a beautiful way to use it for good to get yeah. people's attention. It Even is. though you and I both know it just. It, it doesn't really necessarily matter. And it's just it's just people. And it, but it's but hey, let's do what we got to do. Uh, to get people's attention. I, you know, I drop a couple things. I've got a, I just did it last week. I was, I was working with middle school. I did a middle school um, uh, entrepreneurship summer camp at Atlanta, Atlanta based uh, middle schoolers, 35 kids for a whole week. And I led with my, my picture with Mark Cuban. <laughs> I'm, I, it's, you know what though? Like those are sometimes like it's I the did. attention grabbers. We're, I led with that. I pulled that picture up there and they were like, Ooh, you know, and everything. We're and in a sudden, celebrity centric society. I had credit. All of a sudden I had credibility with kids, you know, cause I, they don't care about any of that bio stuff that we got on our thing. <laughs> no. just, what, who do you know? What celebrities have you ever met? <laughs> hilarious. Um, okay. So, so then it, how do we get to New York? So uh, I graduated 2009. I knew that I wanted to go to New York. It had just always been a thing. Like I was just like, I am ready to get out of Cleveland. Um, you know, I want to do something different. And um, so I, through LeBron, you know, his organization was able to make some connections for me. I ended up going on three different interviews. Two were a no, and the last one was a yes. And um, and then the job that I ended up getting, I started off as someone's executive assistant, and the person whose executive assistant I was, he happened to be known as a celebrity to celebrities because he owned like many of the huge nightlife venues in New York and Las Vegas. And now he owns them like worldwide. So um, that was a, it was a, it was a kind of an extraordinary crazy job that just took me into a world of things yeah, I've got that I had got never seen. I, I noticed Oprah Winfrey, you might've met these people, but I saw this on your bio, Oprah Winfrey, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jay-Z. Did you, did you get a chance to meet or get in the same room at least? With All of them. People? Yeah, all of them. Yeah, all of them. I mean, um, and, and the thing that you learn about this is like you can tell somebody who has worked around celebrities from someone who's just been in a room with celebrities because you learn very quickly. Like they are people who happen to be on TV. The great ones are people 
you know, humans, yeah. like, you know, they've had extraordinary life experience, of course, but like, they're still humans, you know, they're still humans, yeah. they're still working, like, you know, they, there's a lot that goes into that. And the other thing is, people ask me all the time, like, I have pictures with some celebrities, but realistically, like, when I was around celebrities, for the most part, like, I was working, like, yeah, you know, you it's were, like, like you don't, a picture. yeah, and this was really the age before selfies, like, I had a Blackberry, like, when I was doing this work, so like, <laughs> so like, you know, so it's, it's really not that it's um i was i was in the job in these kind of incredible places but like behind the scenes but while i was behind the scenes i was a sponge so you know i was somebody's executive assistant but i even told my boss like in my interview i said i'm confident that i can be a great executive assistant whatever that is but i <laughs> I, uh, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to, like, that's not going to be my thing. Like, I don't want to be your executive assistant forever. And he was like, yeah. okay, well, he was like, well, let's see how you do with that. And so, you know, over time, I noticed ways that I could like integrate myself into events, which is what I was really in. So, you know, some of my colleagues in the office, you know, I would be doing executive assistant stuff and then they'd be talking about this big event that they were doing. And then they'd be like, oh, we need to hire somebody to work the door. And I was like, I was like, well, you can pay me $500 and I'll work the door. And they were like, oh, okay. Um, so like, I was always inserting myself, like doing the work that like no one really wants to do, but like that eventually got my, you know, it got my foot in the door and it was extra and it was above and beyond. And I was working crazy hours, but I really went to New York to hustle. Like I didn't go to New York to chill. So it's fine. You know? Yeah. I, lo I, I love, I can't wait for my students to see this interview. Cause I, I we start class up in a few weeks and this idea of, of um, just throwing yourself into big opportunities and doing the, for lack of a better word, the grunt, all the grunt work you can you can find, make yourself valuable, and it comes back to you what like tenfold. Oh, it does because the first event that I produced by myself, like on behalf of like our brands and whatnot, it was two pop up events, uh, the closing nights of the London Olympics crazy and i was like 24 i was like 24 yeah, 25 like, you didn't work you didn't work for free but you would have <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean and you know at that point i mean it was just the craziest thing it's like you know went over to london like working these crazy events like there's pictures actually online where you can see the event and um the team usa the basketball team they had won um their gold medals that night and it was great because i got to see my old team from LeBron's office, but like, you know, it was all of them and they were wrapped in American flags and they had on gold beats headphones and, you know, the brand was out. Like, I mean, really, like it was like the most amazing thing ever. We almost got shut down by Scotland Yard. I was at the door and people were like dukes and duchesses. And I was like, well, I, you're not on this list. I do not know who you are. So, I mean, like, again, I've just been in some really crazy, you know, some yeah. really crazy places, but I mean, so, what, what life experience. But then here's the thing. So then, so then, um, you're, you're doing all this and then some, some, semi bad experience happened to you at a networking event, like an event. And, um, that's, this is the, the origin story of mixed rows, right. And, sure. um, you're in New York city doing all this stuff. What event, what event were you at that like spurred this thing? So it was a conference at Lincoln Center, and um, mm -hmm. it was it was a conference that I just wanted to go to myself. Cosmopolitan, the magazine, was putting on their first in-person live event, and I just wanted to go. Um, the keynote speakers were like Sarah Blakely, who founded Spanx. She's like yep. the the world's oh, first yeah. female self-made oh, billionaire. Yeah. Owns a hundred of her company, Atlanta. She grew up in Tampa. Tampa. In Tampa. Oh, that's right. Tampa Clearwater and then moved as a young lady, as you know, young woman, she moved to Atlanta, right? 
So here's, okay, I have, just have to pause here so everybody can see the power of networking. So yeah. Sarah Blakely, so Sarah Blakely seems like she might be a couple degrees of separation from anyone, but actually for me, she's pretty close because when I was an intern, LeBron was her now husband's business partner. So when she had her first baby named Laser, I bought the baby gift. And so mm. I always remembered that because it was, I was like, what do we, what are we going to buy? Like, what are we going to buy? And I remember I chose a, um, a plate set from Bloomingdale's and it had a rocket on it and we put laser on it. And it was, I was like, oh, I was like, I just killed that. And so then <laughs> fast forward several years, I saw Sarah speak at that event. And then fast forward some more, one of our investors in Mixtros is Rise of the Rest. And Sarah is an investor in, rise with us. So, I mean, it's like, it's crazy. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and you're not, you're only a few miles. I mean, you're only just a few miles away, even in Birmingham. I mean, you're circling, you got Nashville, Birmingham, like there's Atlanta. Um, and she came down and spoke at our, 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 our conference here in Tampa Bay last, uh, this past spring. It was kind of cool. It was like a bit of a homecoming for her. Yeah. Um, but no, so, so, okay. So you're, you, you have this, uh, this kind of you have this bad experience at a, at a networking event and you call you called your mom right yeah <laughs> so mom, you probably, do you talk to your did you talk to your mom like weekly at that time or every day multiple every times day. a day yeah like yeah. my okay my, my wife and daughter do the same thing they talk like, every day like literally every day so i was at the conference the organizer said we're going to do some networking which was my entire point for going to the conference and um she said you look at your name tag, there's a dot on your name tag and go up to somebody with the same color dot on their name tag as you. So I'm going to do an illustration of what is wrong <laughs> with what was just said. Hold on, let me find a different color sticky note. Oh out. man, all right. So, so name tags, if you're a woman, you generally put your name tag on your breast for God knows what reason. Now, I have made a Sharpie marker on this but it's, it's right there and it's tiny. You can't see that. And so it was literally like going up to women and being like, are you yellow? I'm yellow. Let's talk about it. It was so awkward. And, you know, I was from New York at the time. I was like, I'm not doing that. I went to lunch by myself. It was fine. And, you know, I did call my mom later to, she, you know, she was like, how was it? Who'd you meet? You know, whatever. And I said, you know, content was great. Didn't really meet anybody though, because at networking time, they said, do this. And it just so happened, my mom had had, um, she had had like an experience in her own way. And so what, for whatever reason that night we stayed on the phone a really long time and we both got on the Google, that's what my mom calls it. And um, we just started looking around for what is the software that solves this problem that we're talking about, which is there's many softwares to get you to an event. There are many softwares to help you follow up after an event, but what is the vessel that helps you collide with the right people when you're somewhere and then yeah. mixtures, which is mixer and it. introductions smushed together. Boom. And, 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 uh, and so then it was born. Um, and then, you know, you, you touched on your mom where she wasn't like, um, but I've, I've got it. I love the, I love the struggle part. I mean, so far, you know, you've, you've had this almost Cinderella rise. Mm. I'm just okay. being, I'm just being facetious, right? No, you, overachiever, wait, wait, hold on, overachiever, killing it, New York celebrity. Okay. But it okay, and then I know your mo your your mother kind of kicked it off while you were still part time in New York, and I, I read about that. But at, at some point, you won your first uh, you won your first client account, and it was you you decided to uh, to just quit the New York. I guess you quit your job in New York, and you moved to to Nashville. But this is the part I want to get to: um, the sacrifice that you put yourself under 
right? You could to, when you move to Nashville, talk about that because that's the part I like people. I want people to hear about what it the grit, the really hard grit that it takes. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I, that's probably why I enjoy talking about this with people like you because it's almost therapeutic. I do have a therapist though. I'd like people to know, but like it's almost. Yeah, I've had I've had a few. I've had a few. I don't have one right now, but I've had a few. I believe years. in it wholeheartedly. Mental health is one of the most yeah. important things in the entrepreneurship game. So, Agreed. you know, I moved home in twenty uh, June of twenty sixteen. Again, blessed. Like I moved home to a nice house. I moved home. You know, I had a car. I got my brother's car. So like, you know, but you're a startup, but you've decided to be a startup founder. At this point, you're going to be a startup tech. You guys are going to, you guys are, you're, you're doing it under the, the thing of, with a purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I moved yeah. home for that purpose. And the thing about it is like, everything is relative. Like you, mm -hmm. you only know, you feel the struggle when you're struggling, when you're struggling from what you've known, you know what I mean? So like everybody's struggle is different. So with that perspective, my struggle was, I went from being a single woman living in New York City, making north of six figures, like chilling, doing my job. My job had gotten easy-ish at that point because it's like, you know, you do things enough and it becomes, you know, it becomes routine. Like, you know what you're That's doing, right. like, you know. Um, so there was that. And then in moving home, you know, it was somewhat, it was a loss of independence in my late 20s. You know, your late 20s is where, you know, a lot of people, they're looking to like settle down, get married, start a family, all of that. I had a complete departure from that, which was I'm moving home for the first time since I was age 17. You know, I am living in my parents' home. I am living in my baby brother's room. I am getting his, what was a beat up old car, you know, just so like it was, it was going from the salary to at the time, I think we were maybe taking an owner's draw of like a thousand dollars a month, maybe. So, you know, it was just, it was a real change. And I will say, I definitely first that first summer I went through a phase of entrepreneurial depression for sure. I know that I went through it because I could like you made a big mistake. Oh, well, I, well, I would, yeah, exactly. Like what have I done? And the reason that that was triggered was social media had certainly a big part to do with it because comparison is the thief of joy. If you are scrolling on your social media and you are looking at, um, you know, what everybody else is doing and how, you know, everybody else is like on vacation or doing their wedding or having a whatever, whatever you're comparing yourself to, you're like, Oh my gosh, I must not be doing the right thing. Like this journey that I'm on must not be correct. And until you get over that and learn to like worry about yourself and live in your own moment, I think things can become very, very difficult. So it took mm -hmm. me time. It took me a counseling. It took me to go to my doctor and figure out what was going on to get back on a good path. But in doing that, like I felt better. And I like to be super honest about that because mental health is still like a sticky issue. But like my whole thing is like, I want to be healthy. I want to be even because when I'm healthy and even, I'm the best version of an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, so, wow, this is, this is, this is really, really important for people to hear. I can't tell you, I, 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 you know, I work with dozens of founders at the Tampa Bay wave and, and have for the last many years. And, and they, um, and the ones that have been in the game for a few years, even the ones that have raised millions of a million dollars or more, they pull me aside in, in private and they, and they, and they share with me how, how much of a mental struggle that they still deal with. And a lot of them are young, like you were young and, um, and still are, by the way, <laughs> at this time, right? Okay, but uh, you know, but 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 really, like early formative, you know, years where you um, you jumped on something, you know, before you, uh, you know, you kind of jumped on something, you kind of gave something away to do this, right? And and they share with me that the how lonely and how just um, 
kind of uh, self-defeating, some the self-talk, the self-talk yeah. can, is, can become overwhelming. And and you, especially you probably were coming off like an adrenaline high, like you were, you were coming off huge highs. And now here you are, it's kind of like scrounging for scraps. And I have, you know what, you brought up the, probably the most important thing, because I mean, you just really summed it up in a nutshell. It is like going from being on everyone's list, going from, you know, being to like, jump past the list and be the first in line, you know, because it's like, I was always with yeah. the people that the people wanted to know, you know what I mean? Always yeah. in these crazy um, yeah. circumstances. And then you go to be an entrepreneur and you're like, literally no one knows what we're doing. To be honest, no one cares. No one like, cares. I mean, it's like, and by the way, a lot of people don't, don't believe, don't think you're doing anything that's going to be worth anything. Oh my gosh. 100%. Like that, you know, your friends, as sweet as some of them may be, they don't get it. They think, that you've just take, taken on like a side hustle, like they don't get it. <laughs> and, and some of them, and by the way, the, the, the ones that don't get it, but then I, what I found is that there was a lot of uh, friends and you know family that, that were that, that were a little envious. That, that you, I was dealing with, I was dealing with one side that was like, Alan, you're like, you, you're doing uh, something that's uh, gonna not be valuable, it's gonna fail, and what are you doing throwing away? And the other, I was dealing with other sides, friends and, and family, so to speak, broadly speaking, that were envious because they thought I was going to uh, score a home run and be like a multimillionaire and leave them, you know, and all of a sudden be like too big of a shot, too big pants for myself. And they, and they, and some of them had to decide whether they were going to support me and be a part of, or some of them kind of cut off a little bit of love to me because they were felt it was weird and all kind of weird stuff was happening when I was, but I mean, that is literally so true. It's like even today, like literally today, as you and I are speaking, my my business is going through a profound shift right now. And so I, I literally posted a video about this the other day. I've been getting this feeling like it feels like sometimes there's an anvil sitting on my chest, like it feels heavy here. And I have to watch that just because, you know, I know that that's like an anxiety thing, but literally sometimes there are so many things going on in this business that you're thinking about. And then you're like, and then, you know, they say the life of an entrepreneur is like, oh my gosh, we're doing it. And then it's like, we're going to fail. We're going to die. Yeah. And then you get back up and then you go back down. Like it's extreme highs and low in a very low lows. And so you really have to do what you can to manage and mitigate that. Like I finally, I, and I'm still working at it. Like I have to get to a place where, you know, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make this succeed. My mom will too, but frankly, 90% of startups fail. That's like, right. you know, like you have to, you yeah. have to accept that at a certain point and yeah. you have to know that if you do fail, you'll be okay. It'll be okay. What I, exactly right. And what I find too is, is just, you know, when I, I started kind of getting fixated on my own, on, on the vision, on the vision of the company, what they wanted to produce and that get something bigger than all of the, all the noise down here. Um, and use that as the power source of you know confidence, right? And and like um, because because uh, if I listen to the inner, if I listen to the self talk and all the doubt in my own head and other people, and I'm and I'm focusing on the, all these near failures, it was like, wait a minute, are we doing something really big for? Are we doing something really valuable and big for people? And and is, is there enough people who tell us that we are? Because if that's true, then that's where we're gonna we're gonna keep reminding ourselves and hang our hats on that and use it for power, right? Because mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that people, you know, the mental struggle of an entrepreneur is is not enough, not talked about enough. So, okay, so you, that's why I love. Thank you for covering. Thank you for uh, sharing that part because this is this is the stuff that that I really want to do. So you lived, you moved back into your home into your brother brother's bedroom or something, right? I did. Yep. And uh, and you know, and you you were a big shot. So in New York, here you are, and uh, and then. 
were you immediately raising capital or how did how did it go we raised so we, family first right yeah, yeah so we start we so we bootstrapped first my yep. my mom always makes this joke that she bootstrapped and i sandal strapped which i don't <laughs> think is funny at all um but um you know that's when you put your own capital into the business and so we had savings you know between parents myself and we put that into the tune of like 50 grand or so and then we did a round of friends and family funding and so this is another reason why having a co-founder this out of your age bracket is a win because I don't know that I would have been able to successfully raise that $200,000 that we raised in friends and family capital by myself. And the reason that I say that is, sure, I did know people that had some money in Mixtros, but I don't know if I was as sophisticated as a founder back right. then to be able to pitch them and get them to invest. The other side of this is any friends and family that I had, like around me specifically, like all of my friends in New York, one, they're living in New York, so they're trying to either make rent or try to buy something, which is an extraordinary cost. You know, they're having weddings, their first babies, whatever. So I don't know that yeah. they were sitting on the disposable capital I remember. to be able to do that, you know, and then, but my mom, all of her friends were like executives, like, you know, and they were sitting on, you know, they're living in like Franklin, Tennessee, which is like a lovely place to live, but that means that they have some disposable income. And so, you know, being able Brilliant. to go to those people with the idea and them really saying, hey, like, you know, we do think it's a great idea, but we're betting on you two. Like we're betting on the jockey, not the horse at this time. And then we used to always say, yeah, but we're riding Seabiscuit. So it was getting those um, those first people to bite and to put that to put that friends and family raise in perspective. Um, you oh know, that's that's really early funding, you know. We raised that $200,000 over time. Like, so there was never a point where somebody gave us a check for $200,000. It was like 5,000 here, 2,500 here, the max of 10 over here, you know, and you got that money over time, which is really difficult to build a software with that. Because one thing that my mom was extraordinarily good at, she refused to let us go into debt. She's just like, I'm not doing it. Like there's, there's too much uncertainty. There's too much. She was like, so we're not gonna buy above what we can afford. Which is why my mom is so financially savvy today. So you know, so we we didn't do that, which means we this journey was very slow without that funding. Um, but mm. we were able to raise that two hundred thousand dollars. Where black females, on average, at that time, they were raising thirty six thousand dollars. You know, and so that was a lot of money. And so the friends and family that invested in that round, I mean, my goodness, they will always have a near and dear place in our in our souls because they have never. Um, one of my mom's rules of thumb for those friends and family was uh, if you investing this money is going to make it so that like, if you see me on Facebook, like out to dinner, you're like, well, where's my money? Then definitely don't invest. Don't do it. Like, yeah, my mom had those very candid conversations with people. And in fact, my mom, when we were doing friends and family investment, wow. we did have a couple people say that they wanted to invest over $10,000. But my mom said, listen, Ashley and I are learning as we're going. I will do increments of $2,500 to $10,000. 2500 increments so invest that way and you know i can't i cannot say enough about what i'm hearing right now just the the, the the wisdom of that like broke young broke founders could would never under never understand this and if and it would take any money anything they could they would never understand the subtle wisdom of that stuff never not in a million years uh -huh. not a million years unbelievable you can see the wisdom of it at the time. You're probably like, mom, they want to give us 30 grand. Like, let's take them. Like, yeah. you, if you're young, you're like, they want to give us 20. 
and and wow, like I just can't I just can't get over your mom right now. <laughs> That's just yeah, amazing. No, I mean, she's I was gonna say, I mean, literally, like she's just she's not playing with the money. I mean, even during this time, like I mean, we have literally reduced our burn by I don't even know how much percent during this time, just because it's like, hey, like a pandemic happened. Now you you said something I know we we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna come to that because that's I, that's we're coming to that because I can't wait to hear about this that part of how you're handling COVID nineteen and and the pivot of of your product especially but you said something in an interview I watched with you that just really jumped out at me and I had to write it down um, it's so true and it's so awesome you said entrepreneurship is a sport for the elite yes and I was like yes. whoa I was like whoa that is honestly that is some some honest stuff right there. Talk about that because I think more people need to hear that. Yeah. By the way, by the way, let me just preface. People can immediately hear that and go, "Oh, that's discouraging for people." Uh, but but you know what? That doesn't. And I know you're going to say this. It doesn't. Obviously, some of the the most successful entrepreneurs came from nothing and rags to rich. We know Absolutely. this, right? But but understand. But knowing the game before you get in it is is even if you're broke knowing the, what the game is all about is all is the key to the whole thing. Look at Richard Branson, go down the list, right? And, and so I, that's what I loved about it was that you weren't saying that only the elite should play it. You were saying, hey, you need to know that's the, that's the game that's being played. I was like, whoa, I was like, whoa. Go ahead, please. I'm, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's such a loaded thing, but I mean, regardless of let's let's like let me illustrate it this way yeah. regardless of what your uh, political affiliations are i think it is well known that the current president donald trump has said um i got a small loan of a million dollars from my dad <laughs> what <laughs> what like most of us don't have a small loan of a million dollars from our dad. And by the way, by the way, by the way, there was more behind that. By the way, if it was if it was needed, we knew, that was the other part too. There's more. There was more behind that. I'm like, I'm like, do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears I went through to raise that million dollars? And the thing that people need to understand is a million dollars really ain't that much money. I've no. seen a million dollars be lost in a bad weekend in Vegas. Like it's yeah. not that much money. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, it But back it, to this elite, back yes. to the, to, so the it sport feels, for the elite. It feels like a sport for the elite because you just you can see it. You know, I think Birmingham, you know, this is one of I think the not so good things about Birmingham. Like there is certainly an old boys system that is alive and well here. Like, you know, it it is alive and well. I see it. I see it in who gets investment, what gets invested in, you know, and it's just like, well, yeah, there's a reason why all the entrepreneurs look a certain way. It's because, you know, they all went to the University of Alabama. They were all in this fraternity. When they graduated that fraternity, their fathers gave them some money, a good chunk of money, and then they were able to start a business and go. And guess what? If that business failed, they were able to get some more from the and same by the way, if it, wasn't their, if it wasn't their father, it was friends, the friends of their father. You know, in other words, like, you know, like it's, it's a uh, 100. You know, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't have to necessarily be the father. It can be like 1, the father's I network. Mean, 
It's like uh, it's a generational wealth thing. You know, it's it has to do with all the conversations that the United States is trying to come to terms with right now. Like when you have been able to, um, you know, benefit from generational wealth or and wealth can be in the form of knowledge. If you've had a parent or a family member that was an entrepreneur and was successful at it. Heck, yeah, it's much easier for you to become an entrepreneur if you're doing couple it. Phone calls, the, couple of phone yeah. calls. Yeah. If you're doing it for the first time, which my mom and I are, you know, we're first time um, entrepreneurs in our family. It's a totally different ballgame for your family to even understand, like, you're going to leave your good job and like go try to, you know, play around in software and you're not even in the software. Like, you know, it was so hard for them to understand. But it's just like, you know, my mom and I really had to fight to earn our place. And I swear part of it has to do with one, we do have a good product. It's a great idea. We'll see how it goes. But like my mom and I would not shut up. Like we would not shut up until we got our seat at the table. Sometimes we had to pull up our own chair, but it is, I mean, it just feels like the the other thing, the last thing that I'll say about this too is my mom and I, and we're, we're very uh, cognizant of this. I told, I said earlier in this interview that my mom's parents who, whose family come from actually a plantation in Alabama, but my mom's parents were able to Go to Cle go to Detroit, Michigan. Then go to Cleveland, Ohio. My dad, my grandfather worked at a steel plant. My my grandmother was a stay at home um, a stay at home mom, and they were able to build wealth enough wealth for their family to be able to send four children to college. And then what that does is create a board of education director, a chemist, a nurse, and my mom, an HR executive. And then with that, my mom was able to pour that back into me. And so because of those things, my mom and I keenly, we're keenly aware, we are in that privileged class of Black people. And we're in the privileged class of Black people because I talk the way I do. I don't have a distinguishable accent. I can go and be a chameleon everywhere. I went to mostly white schools, which means I have no fears or qualms about being around people who are different from me. All of that matters. And all of that has to do with your upbringing and what you are exposed to early. And we get that that's not possible for everybody. So Carrie and I always think if Carrie and I were a mother-daughter duo, but we just happened to be from the Delta in Mississippi, and we didn't have the connections we have, or we didn't have the same, or, or none of this is possible. Hell, if I had a Mississippi accent, probably not possible. Mm. Yeah, so I, I just, hey, I just want to take my glasses off and rub my eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like it's so, it's so, it's so, it's so, it's so, it's so, so true. Uh, it's so, so, so true. And, the, and what's cool about it is how much you and your mom like understand and get that. But here's what's cool too about to me is that all those, those stairs, those, that stacking of bricks that you guys did, the fact that now you're taking this entrepreneurial swing because like, because we know that that, that wealth you mentioned earlier is not real wealth. It's wealth, but you used it loosely. It's not the wealth that entrepreneurship can bring, right? Sure, Generational yeah. wealth, right? So that was job, uh, career wealth. Let's call it career wealth, right? Which is great, but which is great. But um, this idea to create, um, uh, you know, max large wealth really only comes through entrepreneurship. I, I talk about it in my, in my book and when I speak, speak to groups, right? It, the only true large wealth comes from entrepreneurship. So, so you're, you and your mom and through you really, because uh, your mom already kind of did it. She did her part, right? To be mm -hmm. fair, right? 
you're uh, you're you're taking this. You're you're like standing on the shoulders of of all of the people that came from you, and you're taking the big swing. And God, by the way, they're all like cheering for you from either from the grave or from the yeah. distance. They're like, you know what I mean? Because they know they know that you're you're swinging for next level. And I I and I don't I can promise you they don't care if you strike out or not. They don't care. They don't yeah. care. They just they they're like you, oh, man. You know, like just the fact that you're trying and that you're so close and that people are responding to you the way they are. And um, man, I could just see them cheering on. You reminded me of my own grandfather right now that used to cheer me on and the way he did that, it was so unconditional and um, just getting me a little emotional about this. Uh, <laughs> but okay, uh, let me collect myself from what you just went through. Um, <laughs> that was amazing by the way. Entrepreneurship is sportfully. I think that was, that was great. Now I got one other, okay. So we're gonna wrap up on, on one topic here that I think is gonna be, I think you're gonna love because I wrote it down when we, when we talked before. Um, so <laughs> I wrote it down. I, I, the things you say, I love writing down exactly the way you say it. Um, women, <laughs> women found, okay, wait, I'm waiting for my, uh, my internet. Okay, my internet's getting a little funny. Uh, I got you. Okay, yeah. okay, I'm back, okay. Um, women founders are over mentored and underfunded. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> let me, first of all, let me say, I saw I'm, those I'm just... extremely eloquent words on a tweet. So I want to say, I'm not the first to say this. I saw it on a tweet and it was extraordinary and it blew my mind. And it's not just women founders. It is founders of color are over mentored and underfunded. Like, people who are not founders of color, they get to come in with an idea on a napkin, they get some funding and they get to go out and break things. And usually when they go out and break things, like that's not their great idea, but they have the, the grace to go out and break something and then stumble onto the actual idea. We yeah. don't get don't to get do that. that. We don't get, get that. one shot. It's like one shot. If you don't get it in that shot, we're never investing in a founder of color ever again. So that's like a lot of, um, that's a lot to take on. It's very heavy. Yeah. A lot of stuff packed into that. And I would even, but I, when I read that whole over mentored underfunded, I hate to say it, but I, that over mentored thing just to me feels condescending. It feels like, uh, you know, like, oh, we need to work with you and you need yeah. a lot of mentoring. It's oh just feels condescending you know, it's to me. Like, Versus, let's polish yeah. you. Let's, let's teach you how to use all the forks at the table. It's like, I know how to use the forks at the table. I have the same degree you do. So, you know, it's like, it, 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 it's, it's just like so much. And it's like, instead of somebody being like, all right, let's test out your product. Let's give you a contract. It's like, why don't you do this programming for us so we can take your picture among all these nice white people. And then people can see that we're diverse. What? Right. No, right. no, no, no. You're trying to build, you're trying to build a valuable company and a valuable product. Simple, simple as that. Right. And, and just like everybody else, right. You don't need, um, you don't need extra, extra mentoring. You don't need extra. You don't need extra mentoring. You you need you need uh, the same thing all startups need, which is what capital, right? Capital. Like, um, and 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 that was the other thing. You know, this idea that um, I don't. If you're building people, there's kind of two types of entrepreneurship in a way. Like, there's building a a, a, a startup that's a, a business that's going to be profitable soon thereafter. Whether we're talking about a store, or restaurant, or or I don't know, a plumbing company. Like you, you might need a little startup capital, but you're gonna be you should be profitable within a couple of months and you're off and running and everything's great. But when you're building a product like a tech like a software or tech product, um, it takes it takes money. You can't do that. Um, you can't most do that in a couple months. That. Yeah, no, right? most people can't do that. 
No. And so, so this is a different animal. And, uh, and, and so this idea that, um, that, you know, people want to like, I hate to say waste your time, but like, you don't have weeks and months to, to kind of goof around when, because you, it's going to probably take you 18 months to two years to build, um, to build the product. My internet. Okay, good. It's going to take you a long time to build. So you need to get funded quickly so that you can get on with building. Exactly. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the whole crux of this. Like there's something about a software startup that uh, involves speed. And I find that, you know, we're kind of crippled by not being able to move fast enough because it's like, we've only ever had two full-time people at Mixtros. I am really just coming around to the fact as a founder to understand that that million dollars that we raised in pre-seed capital was actually uh, qualified correctly. There's a reason we don't call it seed capital. Seed means it's for growth. That capital was foundational and it was for us to catch up with the first four years that we were in our business and never had any money. You know, right. so, you know, there are things that have to happen to make your business attractive to um, to do business B2B, right? And so to do that, you know, we had to spend capital so we could like, you know, build a website that's SEO optimized and collateral to go on that website and advertising and market. Like, I mean, there's so many things that go into it. And now we're at a place where it's like in this next phase, which should be growth because we've proven some things. Um, we're looking at transitioning our business into true SaaS because our business yeah. isn't true SaaS yet. We're like a software with a concierge touch. That's not how you scale. To be SaaS, you need to be SaaS, which means yeah. everything can be done online and it is a completely touchless process. And so because we know that, that is what this next round of funding for us is for. You SaaS know, it's- or, or, ca- or CAS, C-A-S-S. C-A-S-S. Community community as a service. All right, let's let's end on that one. So so tell us about Mixtros and and the pivot that's underway with these this COVID situation we're in. So at inception, inception, Mixtros was a tool, is a tool that is used wherever 50 or more people gather to increase peer-to-peer engagement and to collect useful data. Two value propositions, one that is to the attendee, one that is specifically to the event host, the person who pays for Mixtros. So the way that this works, just to like put it in practice, when we took a look at the market at uh, networking softwares, you know, that loose category, mm-hmm. we saw that a lot of people were doing networking one-to-one and they were basing it kind of on arbitrary things like attendees reaching out to one another via an app and all of that. And we we saw that and we're like, man, that seems kind of complicated. Like, you know, if you reach out to an attendee and that attendee doesn't want to talk to you, then it's like, you know, you're wasting your time. Like there's just like, there becomes like a lot of hiccups in that process. And then we, mm-hmm. uh, we also know that people actually prefer to meet one another in a small group setting. And so we're like, you know, why is no one really taking a look at sociology and then applying that to a software to make like uh, engineered serendipity happen, right? And so we built a software where, for example, you know, if you were going to a live event and networking time was going to be over lunch, you could launch our application on your phone and then take less than two minutes to get through our process, which involves answering a series of questions. And then based on how you answer those questions and how the host weighted those questions, that would inform who you sit with at lunch. And then you have engineered this group collision for people who are very likely to be able to 
you know, vibe with one another. So it's not the idea that everybody walks away from this um, small group networking experience, like skipping and holding hands. But what we've done is we, the same thing that happened for me with Brendan Sorg, which led me to LeBron, we've kind of set you up to have that layup if you're open to meeting people. And it's in a way that's like bias free and also collects data. And so that's always been our value proposition. But of course, as you alluded to, we were certainly working in the live event space and yeah, we, right, right. we knew for some time that we were going to have to have a virtual feature in our software because at the time we were doing a lot of work with um enterprises and also within higher education and those things had started to move online but then obviously you know coronavirus struck out of nowhere in march and so we very quickly had to take a, a feature that was going to re be released this october and move it up to march and get it to market we got it to market in about 45 days because part of it was wow. built already and you know we were able to get customers on it and then we started the process of you know getting it out there doing what you do to attract you know to a, to get sales and prove out the product and test the product and all those kind of things simultaneously and so now what we're really focused on is the fact that we're fundraising because we very clearly see the niche that we're in specifically in this virtual slash hybrid event space oh, yeah. and the value yeah. that we can provide because what we're noticing is um people are using like zoom and webex and microsoft teams like all these great things they're using those yeah. to inform people one to many, but there still is a gap when you're talking about peer-to-peer -peer engagement between humans um, on video communication software, well, and we can solve for that. Ashley, if I could jump in, I, I would tell you that I, I think, and I'm talking to other people, um, myself and so many uh, people I know are having, are meeting and connecting with so many more people than they ever did before be, be, right now because of Zoom and, and the, uh, the ability to do that. And we're all all of a sudden more comfortable with Zoom and video conferencing. Even you and I got to connect that way to a certain degree. Um, and I feel like, boy, isn't that's got to be the path for mixtures, right? Like, uh, like, like, because ultimately, um, we can do this over virtual, right? Everything that you were trying to do in the physical space, really, we could do a virtual. In fact, you could argue it could it can be better, right? Because maybe I'm more relaxed in 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 my uh, home or or over virtual than I would be at a conference. I could just I can see a bigger opportunity, honestly, than the physical space. I hope I, I assume you're you're seeing it the same way. Yeah, no, I mean we are. I mean the biggest thing is to have a hybrid offering because we know 45% of the market gatherings in general, not just events, anything yeah. from a meeting to an orientation to a training, anytime people are gathering, that stuff is 45% of it will be hybrid now and forever. It looks forever. Like. That's right. Forever. So you, so you built in the hybrid, you, you, do you guys already relaunch it and release it or how, how is it coming And Is it, is it built in the product now where you can do the physical and the virtual? Yeah. Or yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's cool. And, um, Okay, so I, I, I gotta I gotta uh, check that out, and uh, um, you're, you're you're probably navigating a lot of your customers' fears, right? So are you are you on the phone a lot trying to explain to your customers how it can work in the virtual world the same way it did in the physical world? Is that where you spend a lot of time? 
Yeah, and you know, it's funny because in um, in finally getting to a place where we are just evaluating like what happened specifically in the last quarter, that's a place where I am in this move to true SaaS, I have to get off the phone. So I in I would say over the course of this time, like I have been the most customer facing a member of my team. And part of that has to do with me hearing what the customer says in real time informs decisions. So like, you know, as yeah. a founder, it's my job to be able to demo them and then hear what they say and then take some of that feedback, right? So um, as you move to a more true SaaS platform, part of that goes away, but that means that you have to have killer customer experience. And so that's where we're working. Wow, that's so great. And that's it, right? The the, the rule we know is you got to stay close and connected to your customer and they'll show you the way. And I feel like this, in my mind, this is just, I mean, I know it's a big step for you, but in my mind, this when I look at this from an outsider, I feel like this is just a small leap over, like, because we're all now all of a sudden comfortable with these, these connections over virtual, right? Like, why don't I use, just let me use Mixtros and now let me um, connect in the same way. Like I'm, it's, it's, I feel like it's a revolution, honestly, Ashley, that you, you guys could potentially catch the wave on this. I, I yeah, really no, I certainly way. think that we hit a market inflection point, you know, and um, we're really excited to see what happens, you know, but we're, we're just, you know, I think we're cautiously optimistic always just because yeah. again, we've just seen so many like high and, oh, then, yeah, 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 and yeah. then, you know, so it's, it's all the good stuff that goes into entrepreneurship, but it's funny because I'm an entrepreneur for sure. At some point, like I, put, I picked up a pen and started writing and I had a dev idea and I was like, oh, write that down. Before you <laughs> in the middle of the interview. In the middle of the interview. Like, guys, it doesn't, it doesn't shut off. Like, Well, well, Ashley, this is where I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap up the, uh, the interview. And this has been great. I, I really appreciate you, you coming on. And uh, it's really an honor to know you and, I, and, and, you, and your mother. I look forward to meeting your mother in person one day. Um, I feel like I know her after watching uh, some of the interviews <laughs> with her. Um, character that one. <laughs> yeah, she's great. And um, and so uh, I will, um, you know, we'll definitely put a link to Mixtros uh, on the uh, on the show notes and on, you. on the YouTube, of course, of course. And I'm I'm gonna be a, a big fan forever. I'm a big fan of all. I'm only in twenty. This is my twenty first episode, so it's not hard for me to be like close to the people that I get to that get to uh, interview. So um, anything um, anything you want to like throw out there as a final parting message for early or aspiring entrepreneurs if you were going to put a little uh, message out there uh, let me let you have the kind of last word if i could yeah you know i think it's, it's i think it's two things you know i think it's really okay to be scared like it's really it's really okay to be scared and be scared and feel like you don't know what to do and yeah. you yeah. just you really need to know, um, you know, I think it's a combination of having a great co-founder can really help with that. For anybody who goes out there as a solo founder, like my hat is off to you because I don't know how you do it. Having a co-founder, I think is critical and it it has to be someone that you have trust and the utmost respect for and all of that. But like having a co-founder is critical because you being able to tell your best friend or spouse or mom about the trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur is not- 
it, it like no one can really understand unless they're in the actual trench with you. And so um, that is something that has been, I just think, critical to making it through, you know, mentally and otherwise. So I, you know, I think that that's so important, but it's okay not to know. It's okay to be scared. The biggest thing is that you're able to re-engage yourself. Like I was really having an anxiety filled week, I would say last week. And the way that I solved for that is like my favorite thing is to like get on Google and I start um, just searching for articles and anything that I can read about a founder who experienced a challenge and how they saw for that challenge, like how they pushed through that challenge. For me, hearing things like that, it helps me know that there's a workaround. It helps me understand that there's a workaround. And it's funny because since then, I, I, my mom and I were literally able to map out the entire SaaS process of our business, like how it should actually work, and now put a product roadmap behind that. And so many things have you know come together because of that. It's just a rethinking of the way that we are doing our business. So that's exciting. And then the other huge thing I would say is wherever you are in the world, be in a place an ecosystem that gets you, feels you, and supports you, have allies in that ecosystem, make friends with other founders in that ecosystem. This entrepreneurship thing is, it really takes a village. It, it truly does. It's never just about the founder. It's, it's, you know, it's about, it's about the village, the community that you have, the people who are your earliest customers, all of that. So be in an ecosystem that understands you and then go there and conquer. And if you're in an ecosystem that is not supporting you. Um, the great news for you is the world has gone virtual, so you can visit other ecosystems. You know, by putting yourself out there virtually first. You know, if you're not able to move or whatever the case is, but never stay somewhere where people just tell you that you're crazy and it can't be done. So this is all about this is all about support and you know from a co-founder to everybody around you and keeping a strong support system around you, right? Um, and I think that's that's pretty cool. That's a cool message. You can't because you can't really do it alone. And by the way, investors don't like to see that either. Just so people watching, if they're wanting to raise capital, uh, savvy investors don't invest in single solo founders. Um, for for you know, just from a pure just from a pure insurance perspective, if nothing else, like you know, this person, you know, um, it also it, it shows a lot of other things. It shows they can get along with others. It shows that they. That they that they're going to get to the best idea, and then just it just is so good for you. It's good for everybody. Um, it's something I had to learn the hard way. I tried to be a solo founder too many, you know, a, a few times, and um, and it's a really it's a great message. So, but Ashley, thank you so much. You're so welcome. I really appreciate it. Right, I really do appreciate. It. This has been an awesome interview, and I think this is going to be some cool messages for for folks out there. So. Um, thank you. And until next year, hey, I, I'm probably going to call you up in one year and do it again. <laughs> okay, good. If, I was going to say, touch base. That'd be awesome. Thank you Love so it. much. You're Have welcome. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye.